And now, this is the DDT Wrestling Podcast with DC Matthews and Doc Manson. Doc Manson at Doc Manson. That's me. I hear this weekend you went all out. I see what you did there. You're right. I went out to a restaurant. I got an appetizer. I got an entree. I got a drink and I ordered dessert. And let me tell you, DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. It was delicious. I'm really glad to have gone all out. It's not something I do very often, but it was a fine dining experience. And I think I'll do it again. Did you actually go out to a restaurant this weekend, Doc Manson at Doc Manson? No. Oh. No, I did not. DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. I know how much, you know, when you went to uh, the Cape not too long ago, you did go, I believe, out and got the bourbon all beverage. Out, if yes. you will. Yeah. Yeah. So, I actually, I did go to a restaurant this weekend. It was a local place. And I got myself a. Uh, what they called it piglet something like that it was just a pulled pork barbecue sandwich and they're a bakery this place so it was on a fresh bulky roll that's nice Mwah, delicious we went there because mrs manson was looking for a lobster roll mm. she's always looking for lobster rolls and when i was driving between my my various places of employment this week sure uh, i saw signs outside of this place saying Lobster rolls. And I was like, hey, that's a thing that I bet Mrs. Manson would appreciate. You are a considerate husband. Only sometimes. Mm -hmm. what, what gummy edible are you consuming? This would be the uh, Haribo brand. And uh, they are sour vampire bats oh we're getting to that time yeah it's only september but the halloween stuff was out in the store i saw the pumpkin spice this and the pumpkin spice that mm -hmm. we saw the haribo scary mix uh but we decided on the sour vampire bats as what came home with us this past week um so the scary mix was sort of interesting um they usually sell a mix uh, Haribo, Haribo, however you pronounce that, where it's a bunch of different shapes, right? Yep. Like one's a Coke bottle, one's a bear, one's a worm, whatever. And looking at this scary mix, it had, you know, a festive bag. And on the bag, it proclaimed that these gummies had scary flavors. But the flavors weren't listed anywhere on the package. Mm. And looking at the gummies, they weren't Halloween shapes. They were just their typical mixed bag and i was like what the hell is a scary flavor i think they were lying i think the packaging was just trying to get on the holiday spirit but there was nothing halloween-esque about those gummies but you didn't Terrible, try. i'm calling you on your shit but you didn't try no you're right i mean i guess they could have tasted like poop or something that would have been pretty scary not that i would know what poop tastes like is that the scariest flavor you can think of? I mean, I can't really think of a scary. What, what is a scary flavor? DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Please define for me 
Doc Manson at Doc Manson. What is a scary flavor? We're just going to keep promoting the Twitter all episode. You know, I mean, I don't have enough followers. <clears throat> Uh, I, I don't know. I suppose that is a good question. I, I suppose it would be something unexpected and, yes, maybe a little gross. You know, the Bernie Bots Every Flavored Beans has the, you know, boogers flavor or the... And see, see, that's the thing, though. Like, really, those flavors are gross, but they're not scary. Right? Well, I, I suppose the question, yeah, what makes a flavor scary? Would it have to be, like... Horse brain, if you if you ate a, you know, like some sort of rat. I just don't think it's possible for a flavor to be scary. I don't know. Can a smell be scary? Because taste and smell is, you know, you're a scientist or so often combined. Can a smell, can an odor be scary? Well, you know, I've been to some haunts that have done sort of like sensory um, rooms. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that they tend to do is like, now, mind you, I don't enjoy this at all. When I like a haunt, I like it different. I don't care for these sensory experience ones. But the ones I've been to where they've done something like this, they'll do like a room that smells by like, like rotting meat or, or like overwhelming fish odor, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and while those are, yes, disgusting and gag-worthy and all of that, it, 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 it's a visceral reaction to the scent Yes, but I don't think it's scary. It's just disgusting and gross. I think it would be scary if it meant something. Like if you woke up in the morning and you and your wife had this overwhelming smell of dead mouse, it would be scary because you know that somewhere in your general vicinity, you're going to be dealing with an expired rodent. Now, that actually makes some sense to me. As a homeowner who, you know, one season turned on my central air unit and the house filled with noxious odor yeah and i said what the hell is that that was a scary odor yeah that what you're yes you're right that is a scary uh odor but but therefore but it's because of what it means so you go to a haunt you're like unless you're going to be locked in a room and you have to find the dead mouse before you're allowed to leave there's not it's not really anything scary about it yeah when last year we went outside to recess and it smelled like a toilet and we realized that the sewer system was leaking onto the playground. That was a scary smell. Yeah. Yeah, but there's something behind. I'm with you. I, I, I think we've gotten to the heart of this matter. And, you know, for a smell to or taste flavor to be scary, you'd really have to go all out. You would. You would. Have it would, to it would have to be. It would have to be uh, elevated. There'd have to be some yep. elevation. You would have, you couldn't be hiding in the dark. You'd have to know what you were dealing with. And then you would be able to, to be scared by a spell. Yes. I, be, I believe what we're trying to get to so subtly, where we are the master of segues, uh, both of us consumed some AEW over the past few days. But you should spend the, we should spend the majority of the time with you because you watched. I watched, of course, being me, the velocity and Sunday night heat of AEW. Uh, you actually watched the the real thing. You watched a paper. I saw. I, I actually saw some of your your commentary before we get to the paper. You will get there, folks. Slowly but surely, we'll get there. <laughs> I saw your tweets about you know what what would you call 
dark in the comparison to the WWE. And I actually would disagree. I don't think it is the heat or velocity or main event of AEW. I think um, though it could be, the reason why I say that is because nothing that happens on those shows ever matter. As far as I can tell, some of the things on Dark do yeah. actually get payoffs on mm-hmm. the upper level shows. I would say Sunday Night Heat did. Sunday Night Velocity didn't. But Sunday Night no. Heat would for a while there. For a while yeah, there when it maybe first for started. for a while, but not the rule. No, no. Once yeah. Steven Richards showed up every week, it was no longer <laughs> a meaningful program. Um, yeah, so, so that's, I, I had a little problem with that definition. But, but, you know, but, you know, not, not, not that far off, I guess. Not enough that you needed to comment, unlike when I did my math wrong and said I had 25 billion characters as opposed to only 25 million characters. Well, you, let's be honest. Let's, you let's chimed be in on that here. one. That's a big mistake. I'd like to point out that I don't, I teach to a thousand and maybe I will get above a thousand with certain children. Millions and billions. You got to go up to the fourth grade wing before we talk millions and billions. So that's, that's out of my area of expertise. Totally, totally understood. Thank you. Um, but, but yes, um, as, as I tried to illustrate with my time analogy, if we were to take a million seconds, that's the equivalent of about 11 and a half days, right? A billion seconds is something like 273 uh, years. I think you said 31 years. Because isn't, it a, could be. isn't it a thousand million? Yeah. So we do 11 times a thousand. Oh, I suppose. Yeah. It's a lot. X, X, I, I was lost in math well before we got to exponents. I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things too, where like people don't really realize the difference between a million and billion. Like when you think about it, like a billion dollars and how much more than a million dollars that is like, I, I, it's the same sort of math. You know what I mean? Like if you were to make on a daily basis, uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't have the math exactly in front of me right now. But let's let's do the math here. If you if if you were to make ten thousand dollars a day, right? Yep. And that's a lot of money. Ten thousand dollars a day is a lot of money. Pre or post let's taxes, say, or does it not matter for our discussion? For our purposes, it doesn't matter. Okay. Continue. In a year, you will only make three million six hundred fifty thousand dollars. If you were making $10,000 every single day. So that if you take a billion, right? A billion dollars. And we divide that. Right? By $10,000 a day. I hope you talk like that when you teach your class. <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have people paying very close attention. <laughs> wow. Anyway, you get the point, though. It's, yeah. it's going to take something like 200 years of making a $10,000 a day before you would ever get to a billion dollars. It's a huge difference between a million and a billion. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a lot. Mm. But anyways, yeah, it I is, digress. It is, it is tricky to figure, you know, I do think you think a million and you think a billion and you go, okay, it's not that much difference, but it really is. It really, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> really, it. I'm happy with a million though. 
I'll, I'll yeah, happily yeah, just I take mean, the I'd rather dollars. have five. I think we've had this conversation. Yeah. But yeah. still. All right. Um, either way, we, we, <laughs> we've gone all out with the math, and I'm all out of these segues. So you had yourself a little gathering. Did you charge people? Did people pay you money to come watch the show? Uh, not so much to watch the show, uh, but but to bask in my company, uh, I did I did charge, cover charge. An entrance. Yes, uh, so you know I, I've heard rumors that we're that me and you you and I are supposed to somehow uh, meet up with some hooligans uh, uh, to record a very special fiftieth episode of uh, a piece of business podcast. Yes. I'm, I'm highly considering uh, uh, forwarding them my appearance fee documentation uh, before before we meet on, on uh, a Skype or, or however it is we're going to meet up because I'm just afraid they might not be good for it, DC, you say. I'm assuming we're going to use StreamYard, which is what uh, Glenn uses to record. Are you familiar with StreamYard? Nope. Uh, I used it to when we did the pop job show. Uh, you, it's basically similar to like a Zoom meeting. You send them a link, they show up, you press record, and you get an MP3 of the audio that you can then tinker with if you want or just upload. Um, I think that is how Glenn is doing all of his. Glenn, the, the technical junkie that he is, uh, clued me into that one. So. I, you know, you have a free trial and then they charge you for it, but I'm assuming that's how we'll do it. But either way, yes, you had people over. It would be great at this point if we just never talked about the show. Yeah, we don't have to. You had people over before we get to the show itself. uh, How was GQ? Did he show up? GQ not only showed up. Did he bring Chinese? He brought me Chinese food. He's a good guy, that GQ. How is he doing? Great guy. Uh, he's doing okay. Um, you know, I'm sure we've got a lot of people out there on the show who are interested in hearing about GQ. He's doing well. You know, he's keeping after some of his, uh, you know, the, the ongoing health issues. Things seem like, you know, ups and downs, but going well. Um, supposedly, I'm going to see uh, Mr. GQ this weekend, um, evidently on Saturday. Over the course of our lives, DC, me more than you, but but the two of us, you know, during our college years, mm. we uh we moved various times. We went to different apartments and houses and so forth. Yes, and one of the few people who was always there to help me on on many of my moves was GQ. Uh, at this point, I believe I've he has helped me move four different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Saturday, uh, I am going to help him for the second time. They're moving. Okay. I, it shows how out of the loop I am, that I, I'm just not aware of all of this. The message I sent him back on September 1st has still not been responded to. And then, you know, he messaged us earlier about All Out. Um, but yeah. It was a complete surprise to me when he showed up and, that, and he had that news. Sorry, GQ, if I've stolen the wind from your thunderous sails by by spilling the beans to DC Matthews, but it seemed topical and like I should mention it. Um, all right. So GQ was there. He's doing well. There's busy things in his life. And then um, 
How was Rachel and her bunny? Did, a, did you have a rabbit there? We did not. So there was some last minute hootenanny uh, uh, shenanigans, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so we were only host to a Rochelle uh, from that household. Oh, okay. So no bunny Rochelle and was company. in attendance. No bunny. In, no, no uh, Don. Don the bunny. Don the bunny. Not okay. actually the na- the bunny's name. But I figure as long as everybody on this show has a pseudonym uh, other than Rochelle, um, I figured I would All also right. give the bunny. It's really embarrassing that Oscar uh, has had the pseudonym. No one knows Oscar's real name. Oscar's real name. Umber. Well, his real name is Oscar, but we've been calling him Oscar. Yes, for years. I suppose that is true. So, yes, makes me think of a certain wrestler, which brings us back to the show itself. So. You watched all out. This is so you're you, not you're not going to ask me how Eric's doing. Was Eric there? Yes, Eric was there. We had a great time. It was a good show. I'd love to see that motherfucker. Okay, I, I have to ask. Uh huh. How was that? It was fine. It was fun. It was a lot of good times. They're you okay. think it's awkward? They're okay. And- they're and at the, the point. reason why you think it's awkward explaining for the audience is because one Rochelle and Eric once dated. They were once a, a, a romantic item, you might say. Uh, however, they have remained friends and they hang out and it is not awkward. Okay. It was a good time. I can I tell you? Yes. Um, I, I am grateful that is the case. And while Eric and I have had our ups and downs in our life. I mean, you know, you're terror. You're a, you are a terrible person. So I, there were moments where I was a terrible person involving him. I, I am glad he was there. I, I hope he is <laughs> doing well. Is he doing well? Um, Define well. Is he happy? Oh, geez. You went way deep. I have no idea. What is happiness? <laughs> am I happy? I couldn't answer that question. Uh, but yeah, no, he seemed, you know healthy talkative it was a good time i i've good. missed that son of a bitch um you know there's just something about that improv humor that you know he brings to any conversation and, and that was an element of my life that i have been missing whoa these pandemic years so it was nice to, to see and catch up uh, was anyone else there that i you know mrs manson how's she doing So let's, I was going to double back to it, but now that I'm asking about everybody, how is your week? How, how are you trying to juggle multiple jobs? How Let busy have you been? Let me tell you at length, DC, <laughs> about juggling multiple jobs. No, it was fine. My week's been fine. Things are very, very busy still at work, but uh, I'm at least sort of settling into a tempo at the moment. And uh, things at the moment are progressing just fine. And I imagine my, my, my full-time job will sort of settle down over the course of the next couple of weeks. Things are stupid busy there, but it, you know, the first few weeks of a semester always are kind of stupid busy. I anticipate that will settle down and everything else should fall into place. Speaking of falling into places, that's the worst segue of all of the ones that we've done. I guess the coffin drop could be defined as falling into places. How was the show? You watched the entire pay-per-view. When was the last time you've watched an entire pay-per-view? I don't know. Uh, maybe WrestleMania? Although I don't even know if I watched all of this WrestleMania. I think I did, but I don't know if I did. Both nights? 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Because that was this was the year with the rain delay, right? Yeah. When night so, one was yes. a rain delay. I definitely watched night one, and I am pretty sure I watched both nights of WrestleMania. So that would probably be the last show shows uh, that I've watched um, in wrestling and from the WWE. Mm-hmm. So AEW all out. Yep. You can take us through match by match if you have detailed notes. I do. Or you can just give me general impressions. But I, I cede the floor to you, good sir. Uh, what did you think of perhaps their biggest pay-per-view to date? Well, um, let me put it this way. I don't think this is exactly true. Maybe over the course of our conversation, we can gauge how true it is. But my general statement I will make about AEW All Out 2021 is this was a five-star pay-per-view filled with three-star matches. Okay. Interesting. My first question would be, was it the moments in between the matches that made it a five-star pay-per-view? Was it just the ending that made it so good. So let's, let, let's start taking it down uh, uh, match by match, perhaps. All right. I can so, pull up the card if you would like, or I've got it. I've, I've got it. I, I oh my goodness. I love when you're prepared. Uh, the 10 man tag team match started the show. We're not talking about the pre-show the pre-show was, was very uh, entertaining as well. Um, but the first match opening up the show, they're best friends with Jurassic express taking on the Hardy family office and uh, the hybrid two. And that's in Helico and Jack Evans, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, You know, that match was, I think a good first match, a little bit fast paced, got the crowd into things. I don't think Matt Hardy as a head of a faction is working for me, but outside of that, I think oh, there's a lot to like in that match. Orange Cassidy was around doing a little mm-hmm. bit of his shtick. And, you know, I understand the people who maybe react strongly to Orange Cassidy as somehow blowing up the business. But you know what? Um, he is awesome. He's extremely entertaining. And you know what I mean? I don't actually think he really is blowing up the business. Like, there's something to the idea like if you think about the character in this way, this is how I started thinking about the character. You know, he's, he comes across as this lackadaisical, not trying, not caring, you know, and, and like, you know, he does these little shin kicks and he's mm. got his hands in his pockets and it just comes across like a complete comedy act, right? But yeah. one of the things he showed me in this match, there was this moment where things got serious, right? He was in the ring. I forget exactly who he was working against at the moment, but some things were going down. Things were getting serious. And Orange Cassidy put his hands into his pockets. And from there, he ran into the ropes. He did a hurt of Karana. He did yep. a, another move off of that, like all with his hands in his pockets. And you know what I thought of? I thought of that, that, that sort of archetypical bored superhero, that superhero who is so damn good, so powerful, Right that you can't touch him and he knows it. And that's what he is. He puts his hands in his pockets to show off, to be like, I don't need my hands to beat you. And when you start thinking about it that way, 
I think there's something to that character that actually legitimately works in a modern wrestling promotion, as opposed to it just being a comedy act. And, and that moment, that was a, one of those moments that we're going to talk about that stood out to me that elevated what was otherwise, I think, a three-star match. It was, a, it was a good tag team match. There was a lot of action. There was a lot of people in there, a lot of man meets and slapped around, right? But in terms of my personal scales, one to five, three stars being, you know, average. Most matches are this. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that stood out about it necessarily, but there was that moment. It was this real character moment that made me connect with Orange Cassidy. And I thought that was fantastic. Uh, moving on to the next match, I got to tell you, Miro, Eddie Kingston, I'm not sold on Eddie Kingston. I think a lot of people like him. Uh, I see sort of this Joe Dirt-like character when I look at him. You know what I mean? Very sort of uh, uh, low-rent, white, um, poor socioeconomic (laughs) class, like being like... There's nothing about that character that speaks to me. And I know everybody's like, oh, Eddie Kingston, he does all this crazy stuff. Crazy guy. I, I don't know what guy they're talking about, but that crazy guy was not at this pay-per-view. I don't know if he's just sort of aged out of the antics that he did when he was younger that everybody's remembering and talking about. Mm-hmm. But I'm not seeing that from Eddie Kingston. What I am seeing, though, is a strong character. I'm seeing a perfectly serviceable wrestler. And ultimately, I think that was probably about a three-star match as well. But the thing I want to talk about here is Miro. Because Miro is amazing. And here's the thing I like about Miro is he is essentially the same character as Rusev. Right? It's the same actor portraying this character. And for all extents and purposes, they're very, very similar characters. Except, of course, Miro is much more serious in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gets me about the juxtaposition between those two things is Miro is the realized potential of Rusev. You go back to Rusev in his early days and when he was a monster coming in at WrestleMania, even on those tanks, even yep. when they were doing some of that stuff, some of that was a little cartoony, but they treated him seriously. And then you think about where he went and how he became very much, very much this comedy act, the, this caricature to the extreme. And you just look at him now and you're like, this is what this guy always could have, would have, should have been. He was on the cusp of it in that other company, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's realizing it. And that is awesome. And, you know, I love the character. I do love the flourishes that they've added. You know, um, God's favorite champion is what they're called. Like, you know, that is awesome. Him sort of towing that edgy line of talking about his God. So people out there aren't not saying, well, he's not just talking about God. So like the Christians can't be mad or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're towing the line. They're being a little edgy, but not really. I love, I love the line that he says, uh, I worship my God by day and I worship my wife by night. I think (laughs) that is awesome. And I think it's even more awesome because everybody knows who his wife is. Yep. But she's not there and she doesn't need to be there. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see CJ come in for a one night appearance, but I don't think she needs to be a recurring character or anything with him. 
Um, I, I think that'd be a great payoff, a nice lark or something. But there's flourishes to that. The way he raises the TNT title, not like he's not, it doesn't, it's not like he's raising it to the crowd to show it off. It's like he's raising it to God as an offering. And like all those little details really make a complete character who is a complete badass that works for me. And the, but here's the other thing. It, just, it goes against that thing I just said. While I do feel like he comes across as a badass, he doesn't feel invincible. It mm-hmm. feels like Eddie Kingston could have stolen it from him. It feels like he's could be beaten on any given night by someone. It just hasn't happened yet. And I like that. I like the fact that, yes, he comes across very strong, but I don't feel like he's just this unstoppable force. There is good balance in that character, which I am enjoying immensely. So, again, you start feeling these emotions, and I take what is a three-star match, but I start really appreciating some of the character work that's on display, and it starts elevating it for me. It starts making it more worthy of that fight. I'm getting emotionally invested despite it only maybe being an average quality wrestling match. Yeah. Um, John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima. Kojima. The bread man. The bread man who didn't bring any bread. (laughs) So here's the thing. Like I haven't watched a lot of dynamite leading up to this. I don't even think Kojima was necessarily on any of those episodes. I get the impression from Moxley right now that he's very much like this lone wolf style character. He's insulated from everything else that's happening in the company. And this match felt like that. This felt like a one-off match that I didn't have any investment in. I wasn't sure why I was supposed to be invested. I didn't really know who the Kojima guy was. They gave a fine match for what it was, but I expected them to bleed. I expected them to be extreme and be hardcore. And I thought it was going to be a blood fest. Mm -mm. It wasn't, it wasn't that at all. No. And so I enjoyed that match, but it was more straight laced. It was slower. It was hard hitting. Certainly but those guys busted each other open the hard way. Uh, Moxley's elbow was bleeding nice by the end of that match. It was a perfectly serviceable match. No yeah. complaints, but, but there was nothing about it. that stood out to me until until <laughs> the music hits for the king. Cause need not a. And, and there's this man who comes to the ring who I have never seen before. Okay. And, yeah. and I'm sorry. What's his first name? I'm not remembering. Minoru. Minoru, Minoru Suzuki. Suzuki. Yeah. Okay. And so this guy starts coming up the, the ramp, right? He starts coming out the tunnel. Yeah. And I'm looking at him. And the first thing I see are the ears. And I'm like, those are, those are distinguished. That is a defined characteristic. The next thing I notice is the crazy fade that is shaved into his hair. And I'm like, this guy is something. Okay. And and here's the thing. Here's where this elevates to five stars for me. It's just a moment, right? There's this guy. I don't know who he is. I don't know who this guy is any more than I know who Kojima is, right? Yeah. But this is one of the refreshing things about watching AEW. The crowd is eating it up. They popped like nobody's business for this guy. I didn't know who he was. 
But I'll tell you, JR on commentary was selling the shit out of this guy. He was saying, I'm scared of this dude. I'm going to get out of the building. I'm getting out of here. Like, I, again, I, I, I've complimented the commentary team in AEW before. That definitely helped me understand who this guy was. But the, the point I wanted to make is the fans. It's, it's refreshing to watch a product in which the fans you might call them smarks or smarky or whatever. I would prefer to call it in this case, a professional wrestling literate audience. They knew who this guy were. They were singing his theme song. And that was infectious Mm -hmm. to feel like I was in the middle of this big deal. Even if I didn't know what the big deal was. Okay. And then he gets to the ring and the performance that he and John Moxley put on, don't get me wrong, you watch the first three minutes of the match with Kojima, it's almost the same shtick. They start elbowing each other in the face back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Who's going to back down first? It must just be a, a, you know, a, a by-the-numbers thing that happens in a lot of these Japanese hard-hitting wrestling matches. But the emotion was there. The crowd was behind it. The cheering, it was connecting in a way that the actual match did not. And I got to say, I was saying this in the bestie chat, uh, Suzuki, uh, he reminds me 100% of a character from this movie we watched way back in college, Kung Fu Hustle. That yes. man is the living embodiment of the beast. And Very much so. That is, oh, it was so good. The, the, I watched that moment a couple of times on YouTube. And what I will say, the thing that sold it for me, besides the fact that I know who this guy is, um, and he's amazing, is uh, you see Moxley's face when the music hits. And he goes from being confused to legit nervous like his eyes widen his jaw drops a bit he puts his hands on top of his head like not this guy because you know he's wrestled kojima i think um you know there have been a couple of other japanese wrestlers that have come over that moxley has wrestled because he goes and wrestles for new japan but it's like this is like you said this is the you know not wanting to steal mako satamora's thing but this is the boss that shows up like the i will kill you pretty easily if i if i feel like it and not know, even thing, if i want the thing that i really liked about watching their back and forth and it was done better in this little moment than it was in the actual match they do their back and forth and they really hit each other and then suzuki um brings it up a notch he runs off the ropes kicks moxley in the face moxley's kind of stunned he tries to answer with his own thing he, a, a, a running lariat and suzuki takes it and he sells it masterfully he sells it like he's almost going to fall down. Like his knees buckle, but he still stand. Small things, selling, whatever, but it made the moment. It made the moment. It made me really buy into this guy as a legitimate badass after watching this 12-minute long match with this other guy that really left no impression on me. It's just like yeah. the juxtaposition of those two performers back to back, I think helped me like Suzuki even more. Yeah, he's good. I'm going to try to figure out whether it's tonight or tomorrow. That match alone has me like, all right, I will figure out how to use the TNT app, despite the fact that it crashes all the time. Yeah. Um, 
that's the match I want to see. More than more than anything else that happened on this show, that's the match that I'm like, that's what I want to watch is Minoru Suzuki is fantastic. So that brings us to the fourth match. Uh, Britt Baker uh, versus Chris Statlander. Sure. And this was a really good match, I thought. Uh, I would maybe say this was one of the four-star matches on the card. Good to know. I thought it was good, real good. Um, and another thing that, again, they do here, um, and I think I, I, I tweeted something about this too. If you like factions, if you like stables, yep. AEW is your company. Because yeah. in this match, uh, you know, Britt Baker is flanked by her um, helpers, Jamie Hayter and uh, Rebel, right? And then Chris Statlander comes out with the best friends and Orange Cassidy, right? And they, I'm sorry, but they add something to the match. Because like Chris Statlander, she's been gone for a while, I guess. I gather she's been out injured or something. And she's only recently back in the company. And I don't know who she is, right? But the, the association with Orange Cassidy, for me, was a good one. Because I, I, I immediately have a feeling for who she is in this company, um, who she's friends with. I know I like Orange Cassidy. And that, that translates. That starts, it primes the pump to make me inclined to like this person. Let me tell you, she's a good wrestler. She's very strong. She looks, she, she, she's much smaller than she, than, than she looked. She looks smaller than she is strong. You know what I mean? Like, she's deceivingly strong, I think, for her size. Um, and one of the things I really liked about that match was, again, another character moment for Orange Cassidy. Not the girls, unfortunately. But there was this one point when Chris Stanlander, Statlander gets thrown out of the ring, and she looks, she's about to get counted out. You know, they're up, near the, they're up in the high numbers, the high single digits. And Orange Cassidy comes over, and he... The first time that I've ever seen, admittedly, I'm not that familiar with all of his stuff. He psychs himself up and he legit starts yelling at her get to, to get her motivated to get back in the ring. And it's a mm-hmm. complete juxtaposition of that laid back, don't care character. And again, it still fits in with that version of the character I'm talking about where he's not afraid for himself. He is better than you, which is why he can put his hands in his pockets. But when he's out here helping his friend, the only thing he has to rely on is motivating her, and he breaks through with his character to do that. Again, another beautiful character moment for Orange Cassidy, all right? And the other thing I'm going to say here, I don't want to just make comparisons between the WWE and AEW all night. Don't believe me, though. We're going to get there, right? I mean, we're going to get there later in this card. But the one thing I want to say about AEW compared to the WWE that has to do with this match is AEW has gotten over an evil dentist. I want you to think about that for a second, because the WWE's tried it. AEW has actually gotten over an evil dentist as a character, and it's working. And that's beautiful. When Britt Baker first started, I watched some of the first episodes of Dynamite, and they were pushing her back then. I wasn't sure about Britt Baker back then. I think maybe she's learned a lot since then. She's a little less green and she's a little Mm -hmm. bit more capable in the ring. Great. But beyond that, early on, she was a dentist. That was her character. She was a dentist and she was a wrestler. Now, her character is, and this is, you know, this is, this is reductionist of me to say it this way, but her character is she's Carmella. Okay. She's out there. 
She's glamorous and she is all attitude, all attitude. All right. And then on top of that character, she's still a dentist. All right. So being able to be the fact that she's able to be more than just the fact that she's able to be more than just a dentist to be that character and the dentist and for it to feel like a congruous whole in some way is awesome. That's a level of character development that you don't get in the WWE. Like you think about someone like Carrie Zane. 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 Carrie Zane? Yeah. She's a pirate. That was her entire character. And don't get me wrong, maybe there's a language barrier there or whatever. But she was a pirate start and end of her character. She never got anything more than that. This dentist now is a fully fleshed out character who has a personality and a way of acting beyond the fact that she's just a dentist. And that's, that's really, I think, the theme you're, you're going to see me talking about with AEW here is. Sure. It's a, it's a three-card wrestling show for the most part, but full of five-star characters. They're really nailing the performer side of things, the character work. And that is very important to me for buying in and caring about what's happening on your product. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I think listening to the way you talked about it, and I've been thinking about this uh, for a bit because, you know, a lot of the discussion for over the last few days has obviously been AEW and then you know, comparisons to the WWE and somebody, I think it was Eddie McCabe, um, you know, mentioned that in the wake of the Chris Benoit thing and right around, you know, whatever that time was, 2008, 2009, um, in a lot of ways, WWE made a conscious shift to focus on the company, company first, character second. They didn't want, and, and we saw it with, we haven't started talking about him yet, but the chick magnet punk, if you have somebody who gets too much over as a character, they are going to, if they leave, you're in the lurch. And I remember you and I uh, typing out a you know article for the number two contenders way back before we had a podcast about punk and Brian and all of this stuff and how that was going to you know potentially matter. And I think that's what they do. WWE does not seem to care all that much about giving us a three-dimensional character. She's a pirate. There it is. That's it. She's a pirate. She's a flair. You know, Becky Lynch is the man. I don't know what that means. Sasha Banks is the boss. I don't know what that means, but that's who they are. And a lot of that stuff doesn't mean anything. No. And, and that's and a problem. It but is, but at I don't the same to, time. Yeah. I don't really want to be but, making comparisons here because I don't I don't want to trash the WWE. I do think they put on a perfectly acceptable product that makes plenty of people happy. You know what I mean? Like it's not necessarily about the back and forth, but as someone for me who has very much fallen out of love with the WWE's way of presenting yes. their product, some of those juxtapositions are important for yes. your understanding of my interpretation of this show. WWE is a mainstream entertainment company that happens to put on wrestling matches. Right. AEW 
from all I have seen, is a professional wrestling company. And that is why, as a wrestling fan, you are into it. That's why I did text with uh, GQ, and he mentioned that, you know, I missed one of the best PPV events in recent memory. Like, it is totally going to uh, appeal to people who aren't necessarily watching this one's this one's for GQ. Yes, yes. This this wrestling show uh, was lit. That's what I can't. I don't think you'd be able to see it, but yeah, <laughs> it was it lit. Was lit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the next match. Now, uh, Lucha Brothers versus the Young Bucks in a steel cage. Mm, that match, from what I've seen, highlights of that. That looked real good. I think it's easily the match of the night. Probably still sure. only four stars. I, I don't think it's, you know, an all-time classic five stars or anything, but a real solid four-star match. Um, a lot of good stuff in there. This is where you were going to get your crimson masks if you were looking for that earlier in the night. Yeah. Um, a lot, lot of real vicious stuff, but also a lot of the stuff that I think some real serious professional wrestling fans won't enjoy. It's the Young Bucks, right? Um there's one sequence in which all four men just go around in a circle hitting each other with super kicks. And once everybody's down, they, we enter into the sequence where they kip up one after the other, more super kips, uh, kicks. So like that stuff is there. And if you hate that stuff, you're not going to be convinced by, by this. But I will say, you know, great hard hitting action from Penta and Ray Phoenix. Um, yep. So if you can get over the Young Bucks shtick, then I think it's great. And the one thing I will say that I also liked about this match is in a very subtle way, AEW was incredibly inclusive to a niche fandom. Um, so at one point in the match, they pull out this shoe, the Nike shoe that's covered in thumbtacks. And I wouldn't know it necessarily, but Twitter went alight aghast with this. These are $1,500 pairs of Jordans, apparently, that have been modified. Like they're, And on the internet, that's a thing these days. Shoe nuts are a total thing. Lining up and trying to get limited edition uh, you know, kicks, various sites, etc. I don't know the lingo. I don't know the lingo, DC. I'm, you you, seem, but, you but, seem like you have a general idea. But you know what I mean? Like, the fact that they thought to incorporate some small piece of fandom that they know is also extremely popular in certain crowds online mm. is telling to the way that they are marketing their product because they're trying to bring in people whose primary interest might not necessarily be the wrestling. And I think you see this in a lot of their tactics, which we will talk about in due time. Um, then of course we had the casino battle Royal. And I want to talk about this match because of the rules. Um, the casino battle Royal is a match where basically you start a battle Royal with, I don't know how many people it was, six or eight people in the ring. This is the first suit of cards. Say it's the hearts and there's eight people assigned to the hearts. And those eight people start in the match. Then you call the spades and then the spades after. So after three and a half minutes, you, you call in the spades and the spades enter one after another. There's no weight between them, but they do come in one after the other. Um, so there's a little bit of a delay there as everybody makes their interest. Everybody still gets their interest. 
gets their entrance. But there's no delay in time, right? So, and then they call the next suit and the next suit. And then at the end, they call the Joker card, right? And we'll get to that in a second. But I, the reason why I want to point this out is because a battle royal on its own is very chaotic, especially to start. Too many people in the ring, right? The solution to that, of course, historically throughout all of wrestling has been the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble is a fantastic match. You can start off with two people. You keep adding, you keep adding, you keep adding complexity and layers. Depending on how you want to book the match, you can either get very complex with a lot of people in the ring or you keep it low. There's a lot of variety that's enabled there, right? But it's also very methodical. Every 30 seconds or every minute, depending on what year we're talking about here, they change the rules a little bit. But every 30 seconds or after a minute, then you're going to add somebody in here. This played with the flow of the match in a way because you get this infusion of talent at specific times. And the thing that I liked about it is I love the Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble is one of my favorite matches. And, you know, you could be, again, very reductionist about this. You could say, ah, well, this is just AEW's version of the Royal Rumble. And they changed the rules so it's not exactly a Royal Rumble, right? You could be totally reductionistic about it if you wanted to be. But I also want to applaud them for doing a Royal Rumble with different rules because mm-hmm. nobody's really ever done it. I can't think no. of any match. When you watched Battle Riot, if you watched any of that Battle Riot, MLW, it's just the Royal Rumble. The only difference they do is you can pin people as opposed to throwing them over the top. Okay. Rope, which is which is a change, but it's still the basic format. And the thing I like about it is like people still get their entrances. There's still this possibility for surprises. And certainly with the Joker coming at the end, that's a great opportunity for a surprise entrant, which they used to great effect in this match by introducing AEW's audience to one Ruby Soho, or as WWE fans might better know her as Ruby Riot. And yep. she comes in and she's a great addition. You can see that she's genuinely happy to be there. The crowd is eating it up. She's eating it up. They're feeding off of each other. You can tell she is having a blast as a performer. And that goes a long way when you're watching a product when you feel like the people performing are enjoying themselves. And she put on a great match. There was this great back and forth, and I was really rooting for uh, Thunder Rosa. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, but Nyla Rose was it. That's the one thing I will say. They, they went back to that old chestnut that seems to happen in every Battle Royal, and every Royal Rumble, in, in all of existence is, okay, there's one person who's bigger than us, and we have to team up to take out the big person. Look, I'm done with that story, okay? We don't need that story anymore. It, 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 we get it. You, you, can, you can break it out once in a while. It doesn't need to be every single one of these matches, okay? But beyond that, doing that with, uh, what's her name? Nyla Rose, was that who they yep. were doing? I mean, okay, fine, whatever. Perfectly acceptable. It's a thing that they always do in all of these matches. Everyone, every promotion. I wish they would get away with it. Fine. But I was really pushing for Thunder Rose. I think she would have made a lot more sense given that the winner of this match gets to go on for a title shot. Now, that said, I will say I really appreciate the way that AEW handles a lot of their uh, introductions of new talent, because for the most part, you don't see people coming into the company and going straight to a title shot, right? They actually have to sort of work their way up. They have to, you know, get a a good ratio of wins to losses and earn their title shot. Here, I'm willing to forgive it because Ruby Soho, not only is she a badass, but that was the gimmick of the match. The match was literally the winner of this match gets the title shot. Doesn't matter who you are, right? So it stands out a little bit because she's brand new to the company, but within the kayfabe world of the rules they set up, perfectly acceptable. 
Well, and and that women's division has been historically the weak point. And let me tell you, AEW. Having watched that battle royal, I will say that that is one hundred percent true. The vast majority of the women in that match, they are almost across the board, all in their own ways, extremely athletic. Some yep. are very strong. Some are very flexible. Some are very agile. Etc. They're they're clearly all great athletes, but many of them come across as green in their wrestling ability. And what they need are ring generals to work with to 100%. help improve their craft. And that is Ruby Soho that is Ruby to Soho. a T. To a T. I, I will I will jump in here because I can I want to keep going and I don't think moving from all out to here are my thoughts on elevation and dark are necessary. But what I will say. I watched those two shows. It was about two hours total of wrestling. And in those two hours, there were seven women's matches. Wow. So it's not that they don't have the talent. Right. They do. They did an entire battle royal. Uh, you know, not all of them were, were great, but there were some good moments there. And just the fact that, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe if you added up Raw and SmackDown and NXT and NXT UK, you would get seven women's matches total. Maybe. They did it in their two YouTube free shows. So clearly. They've got a depth of a roster, even if it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of them was Big Swole in your Battle Royal. Do you remember? I know there was a lot of them. I don't recall. Or Diamante. I think Big Swole was, because I remember the commentary saying that name, but I, the other yeah. does not ring a bell. They main evented Dark with a two out of three falls match that was pretty good. Oh, okay. So. Cool. Um, All right, continue. Yeah, so again, that Ruby Soho moment, a five-star moment yeah. in what might be a three-star battle royal. All right. Um, Chris Jericho defeating MJF. Yes. Was his entr- was MJF's entrance as healy amazing as everyone says it was? I haven't seen it. It was fine. Um, okay. But here's the thing I will say about MJF, because he is the thing I want to I want to rant about in, in this little segment. I mean that in a good way. Um, that dude gets it. You watch that guy. You watch that guy come to the ring. And yeah, well, I, well I'm not going to sit here and, and effusively praise whatever this heelish goodness entrance is that people are talking about. Um, he gets it. And when he gets in the ring and he poses for the crowd, like the deliberateness of his movements, the look on his face, this dude gave me chills, DC. Like he is channeling. He is channeling Shawn Michaels. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he, he just gets it. Uh, and that is really all I can say about that. Chris Jericho, he, you know, he is what he is. He definitely um, gave a serviceable enough match, but I think mm-hmm. the best days of Jericho are behind us. Oh, and, of course. And that's the one thing I will say about that stipulation in that match that kept me guessing, right? Because you look at a stipulation like that, Jericho is going to retire from wrestling in AEW, right? They've narrowed it down enough that it introduces a little bit of doubt into you. Is they're not saying he's never going to wrestle again. They're saying he's never going to wrestle in AEW again. And what have they been doing with Chris Jericho recently? Well, they've been putting him on commentary, and it seems like he's flourishing there. 
So, okay, maybe they're going to go through with this. Maybe his contract as a performer at this point, probably coming up. Maybe mm-hmm. they've decided we're going to move him out of active action. Maybe we are going to use him as a commentator. Or maybe he wants to go do Fozzie for a year, and then he's going to come back as a heel anyways, and heels never yeah. follow stipulations, so whatever. Um, they, they built enough... They built enough into it by by twisting the words the way that a wrestling fan who thinks they're smart looks into it <laughs> to confuse me. And and that's that's another thing. I think that that AEW is doing very well. We'll continue to talk about it for the next few matches, but they're playing with the expectation of the audience in a way that respects the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. The only thing I need to add. And I, you might know this. MJF is 25 years old. Holy shit. He is 25 years old and he is that good. And so it's like, what happens when, if he chooses to, you know, and everyone is saying, and I'm sure we'll get to the amount of talent that is, is there and has just shown up. That, you know, this is the guy, the WWE, him and Adam Page are the guys that the WWE should try to grab and bring to their company. But he's 25. He's going to wrestle for another couple decades, I would assume. How good will he get if he is already this good? Because he is. You watch him and you're just, you can't take your eyes off him. Yeah. And so regardless of how you feel about Chris Jericho, it, it was a really good match that did not feel like it's 20 minute runtime. Um, so that, that again, uh, positive across the board. MJF again, elevates that match. Um, that brings us to the reason why everybody bought this show. Next match, Darby Allen, CM Punk. I appreciate it was not the main event. I love the fact that it's not the main. There was an argument at Manson Manor about that. And I told everybody it is not the main event. They insisted it was the main event. And I said, listen, assholes, because, you know, I called them all assholes. What was CM Punk's one of his primary complaints about his run as champion in the WWE? They never let him headline a pay-per-view. There was no fucking way CM Punk was going to come back in his first match and do that to someone else. There was no way. If there's one, because there's, there's one thing that he is, I don't think it's a hypocrite. I don't think CM Punk is a hypocrite. I do think that he's got problems in a lot of other areas in how he expresses himself. But I, as far as I know, he's not a hypocrite. Um, and he proved himself with the placement on the card at this particular sure. show in that small way anyways. Did you enjoy CM Punk, CM Pants? <laughs> Uh, something totally looked off about him and I couldn't figure out what it was until I saw it on Twitter later. And that was totally it. Um, but like he also came out and like you were looking at those pants and then you were like, there's a lot of padding underneath those pants. <laughs> like a lot. His shins look like marshmallows. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was a little weird, but Hey, I don't, I honestly don't care. He's a guy, the guy's seven years older. His knees probably aren't in the best shape of his life. Like, no. let him wear some knee pads if he wants to wear some knee pads and hide them under some trunks. I, I don't care. I, I don't care about that at all. And now here's the thing I'm going to say here. And here's the most damning thing I will say about this match. 
It was a three-star match. Everybody wants to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. CM Punk, after being away for seven years, nine years, whatever, the wrestling in that match was a three-star match. It started slow. Yeah. It was a little boring. Don't get me wrong. You could argue with me all day long. Ah, they were telling a story. Darby Allen's the fast guy. He was feeling out CM Punk. You could argue he's showing that he can hang with CM Punk and his grapples and things. Or you could say CM Punk is trying to control the flow of the match because if it speeds up too much, that, that, that helps Darby. I don't care about any of that. The start of that match went on too slow for too long, and it was noticeable. Yeah. That said, they got to where I think they needed to go. CM Punk was able to respond. He was keeping up. Ring rust? Sure. He's been away for seven years. Of course. But I think he gave a better match than a lot of other people might have. And to his credit, there's others over there. He gave a better match than Samoa Joe did in his return. Because I don't think you watched TakeOver. No. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. I didn't wind up watching the main event. Samoa Joe, I love him to death, was bad. Wow. Like, noticeably slow, not the explosiveness you expect. He's been out of the, you know, he got blown up after a few minutes. It So, and he had been gone for a while. And whatever the reason was, he'll get better, I'm sure. But CM Punk, from all I saw, yes, it was slow, but... I don't think anyone, you know, I don't think anyone was legitimate. If you were expecting a five-star match from CM Punk in his first match back, you need to take a nap or something. But um, but here's the thing. Everyone seemed happy. And that's the thing, right? Because you can sit here and overanalyze all day long and tell me the match just wasn't that good. Fine. You're entitled to that opinion. And frankly, you're right. But it wasn't about the match. It was about this man returning yeah. After this long absence and finally fulfilling that in-ring promise, you know, he showed up on Rampage a few weeks ago, but he actually showed up, put it down in the ring, and he gave a respectable performance. And the emotion behind that elevates that beyond the three-star action that happened in that ring. I won't say it's a five-star match, but if you want to make the argument that with all of that emotion, the return and the looking forward to it and all that buildup over all these years by wrestling fans, the way the crowds are responding and going crazy, and wow, that's at least worth a four-star, I think, review when you consider sure. all of those things on top of it. You mentioned the, uh, the argument at Manson Manor regarding the match placement. Was there any argument regarding who was going to win? Were there people who really thought Darby Allen was going to beat CM Punk? I think there were some people who mentioned it, but I don't remember anybody seriously arguing it. All right. Yeah. But so that, that match did exactly, and we're going to talk about it even more very shortly, but that match did exactly what it needed to do. Sure. And we'll talk about it. But the next match was Paul White, QT Marshall. And this match also did exactly what it needed to do. It gave you an opportunity to go take a dump before the main event. <laughs> All right. It was it it was exactly you couldn't go from one big event like that to the other. You need that that five minute breathe. You do tweet. It's go it, to the bathroom, look, get a snack. I love horror movies. Everybody knows I love horror movies. Horror movies, any kind of horror movie, a good horror movie, has has a tempo to it. You have you have the slow build 
and you have this this dread that builds up until it builds up and it builds up and you're scared and suspense and you can't take it anymore and the scare happens and you come back down right you get that yeah. moment to breathe maybe there's a, a moment of comedy if you want if it's a horror comedy and they start building again right you yep. need that ups and downs you need the hot shower the cold shower and that's exactly what this is now that said i do think that the match was perfectly serviceable it was probably a two-star match big show you know that match was worse than most, but it wasn't sure. one of the all-time worst matches I've ever seen. Big Show, he's walking with knocking knees, man. There's something wrong yeah. with his legs, and you can tell. Well, he... So, jumping over to Elevation, the commentary team for Elevation, Tony Schiavone, Paul White, Eddie Kingston. Hmm. Fantastic trio. Oh, nice to hear. Um, and... uh. Paul White is talking about his match and he's like, I wasn't good. He was big. You know, he was like, I wasn't moving the way I wanted to move. I've got a bad hip. I've got bad knees. I'll get better. But, you know, but I will just throw in this nice thing. At one point in the opening match, something happens and Paul White is talking about the importance of physics in the opening match of Elevation that featured Dolph Ziggler's brother randomly. Huh. Um, Eddie Kingston goes, physics, this is wrestling. I ain't talking about physics. That proceeded to be the joke that just kept happening in almost every match for the rest of it. So, like something would happen and Eddie would go, I swear, if you say physics, I'm going to punch you in the face. When is the last time you were entertained by anything a commentator said? That's not fair. That's not fair. Pat McAfee. I mean, but and, I understand. And, and what, I do fair. get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. I really do um, think the commentary teams, and there are teams, they vary the teams from show to show in yeah. AEW are very important to yep. the buy-in. And I think they're doing a very good job. Mark Henry, as I, you know, I, for as much as he sticks out in some ways, I really like hearing him on commentary. There's something yeah. about it. Yeah, it was it was entertaining to the fact like I was listening to the commentary and they added to it and they were entertaining themselves and they added to the the matches. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't know who QT Marshall is. I don't know who his little stable is. One of them was engaged to Bailey, maybe is no longer engaged to Bailey. Um, but hey, it was a match. I enjoyed seeing a big show choke slam. Yeah. I saw I saw the entire match was posted on YouTube, so I watched the whole thing. Okay. Um. All right, let's get to it. The main event. I believe there's only one match left. Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega. Christian Cage. Uh it was a good match. Is this your first? How many? How much exposure have you had to Kenny Omega? Uh, limited, but uh, I saw him lose the Impact and TNA Championships to oh, Christian that's right. Cage. That's a right. A few weeks ago on Rampage. So I've seen this match before. And. And I felt like I'd seen this match before. It was a good match. It was a solid enough match. Three stars. Sure. You know, I don't say it, it was better than match. most, but it was fine. Yeah. It was fine. It wasn't about the match. Huh. It wasn't about the match at all. It was about building up to what happened after the match. And this is what I want to talk about. Because, again, CM Punk was a Trojan horse for this show. It wasn't about CM Punk's match. They brought CM Punk back to get every single person with 
any sort of peripheral interest in professional wrestling, lo these seven years who have turned away to yeah. watch their show. And once we bought in and we were sold for the evening, they said, this is our opportunity and we are not going to waste it. It became about so much more than the return of CM Punk. And, you know, Ruby Soho coming back is part of that. Introducing a guy like Suzuki is part of that. I want to point that out because before we talk about the thing that everybody wants to talk about, I want to talk about Suzuki again because what did they show me in this match? They showed me that John Moxley is working with multiple people from New Japan Pro Wrestling. If you're paying attention to any of the dirt sheets at all, you know, spoiler warning, John Moxley just won the GCW World Championship for Matt Cardona, right? So apparently he's going to go off and be their champion for a little bit. Kenny Omega was just the Impact Champion. Now Christian's the Impact Champion. Yeah. In the background of this, I'm not the first person to make this observation, but in the background of all of this, Tony Khan has done the work to bring back not even bring back for the first time he's created an international territory system where companies are actually exchanging talent and working together and they're not afraid to put their titles on other people's performers in different shows in different countries and that's awesome because it just mm -hmm. feeds into this idea that anyone could show up at any time and be a big deal and again you've got a literate wrestling audience who knows who these people are oh yeah and they're responding exactly how the wwe is afraid that they won't mm -hmm. there it is only a matter of time i strongly believe before okada shows up in aew and gets in the face of kenny omega and then we do okada versus omega which was the biggest match in new japan multiple times we do it on american soil right like it's it's awesome, and I you know, I don't think Minoru Suzuki is sticking around, but I think it's, I don't think again, he needs to. He'll show up for a couple. Point. He shows up, and he could come back at any time. And so yeah, that gets great. us to the aftermath here. There's a big whole clusterfuck happening in the ring. Everybody's <laughs> running out. Everybody's getting laid out. Kenny Omega is doing his heel shtick, and this is very important. I want to talk about this. Probably will wait till after. And he says the only person worthy to challenge for this title is already dead and who what should happen the lights go out and boom adam cole makes his aew debut and adam cole's a big get i don't care who you are i'm not a big adam cole fan but the thing i'm gonna give adam cole is if you want to talk about the first battle of the wednesday night wars you want to talk about nxt versus aew right yeah. this and you know Oh, we've already seen NXT is rebranding. They're changing their approach, et cetera. Starting next week, it's going to be their new look or whatever. Yep. Um, this just solidifies to me that AEW won the first, only the first battle, but the first battle of that war because yeah. the guy who really, as far as anybody else is concerned, is the face of NXT, was the face of NXT low this last year is now in AEW. He's joined yep. the competition. That's after, a big get. After no no compete clause, mm -hmm. no 90 days of sitting at home until you forget about him, like None the Iconics or Braun Strowman or Bray Wyatt, he was on TV 
at their last pay-per-view. And let me tell you something. <laughs> if Adam Cole had just come out and he had just finished the night and that was the debut and it looked like it was going to be Adam Cole setting up for a match against Kenny Omega, that would have been a great night. Yeah. Everybody would have been talking about Adam Cole and they also would have been talking about CM Punk and it, they would have been talking about Ruby Soho and Suzuki and all that and it would have been a great night. Had, had Adam Cole come out turned heel, which he did. Well, Not that's that what's coming anyone, next, right? I know, but, but then had Punk come back out or had someone else come back out, it still would have been a big deal. Absolutely. But then you do get the heel turn, which is what everybody wants from Adam Cole anyways. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, once again, you get the flight of the Valkyries pumping through the sound system and everybody loses their god dang minds. Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, debut, the double debut, coming yes. out, making the save. Uh, playing with expectations. You expect the one, you don't expect two. Again, there was a huge argument in Manson Manor saying, well, I haven't really heard that much about Daniel Bryan. Other people saying, well, I've heard he's going to probably show up. Look, this is what Tony Khan's been doing. He's been dropping hints all over social media. They're not keeping any of this stuff a secret, but they're not coming out and saying it's happening. But they're essentially confirming it. But they're keeping just enough mystery there that you want to turn yep. in to find out if it happens. And they're delivering. Yeah. They're delivering. They're, if, if there's one negative here, it's that they're building up expectations. So anytime there's a rumor, they're going to have trouble meeting those expectations. But the thing is about them, I think they're going to be smart about it. I think if rumors start running away with things, I don't think they're going to be shy about coming out and saying, hey, I know you think this guy's coming. He's not. We do not have a contract with this dude. And I don't think they're going to lie to us about that, at least yeah. not in the near well, future. Well, the next, the next one is Kevin Owens. Supposedly, Kevin Owens' contract is up in January. And everyone's like, oh, he tweeted out the coordinates to Mount Rushmore, which apparently was what they called Owens, the Young Bucks, and Adam Cole. They were known as Mount Rushmore. Um, you know, he's going to go in his contract. Maybe he does. And, you know, I think Mick Foley, did you see Mick Foley's video? Yeah, he's right. Uh, I think he's absolutely right. Um, you know, people are going to have to decide what sort of company do I want to be a part of? Am I part of the entertainment company? Or do I want to be a part of a wrestling company? And all the guys who went to NXT four or five years ago are probably going to head on over to AEW. But that is the worry, is you just had all of these big reveals. You can't do that every single time. But I think I honestly think you look at the way they've been smart about this guerrilla marketing of these surprises. Confirming them just enough. Because, like, you don't want to go back to the days of WCW, right? You don't want to be putting on Goldberg versus Hogan on your weekly television with no buildup, right? You need to promote that match. So they're doing guerrilla promotion for these surprises while still not confirming it, while still making it a surprise and making it feel satisfying like a surprise has been filled in the moment. They're doing a beautiful job of that. And I think as long as they could, it's a hard balance to keep, but they've been hitting it. And I, at the moment, yeah. I've got faith that they're going to be able to continue to do that. And so once again, that's my, that's my summary of this show. They were extremely smart. CM Punk was a Trojan horse. They got every single eye in the paying wrestling world to look at their product. And they pulled yep. out 
every stop. And at the end of yeah. the day, you know what everybody's talking about? They are talking about Adam Cole. They're talking about Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson. They're talking about Ruby Soho. They're talking about Suzuki. And they're talking about CM Punk's match. And nobody, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's the smarks are over Twitter. But for them, nobody really is talking about the fact that CM Punk put on a three-star match. Everybody's no. talking about how awesome the show was. And it's the greatest yeah. show they've ever put on. And like, I'm sorry, but like for me, I can't remember the last time I had this good a time watching wrestling. Maybe it was Titan Towers for the Money in the Bank. <laughs> but if not that, it's probably one of the real early takeover pay-per-views. You know, Owen, yeah. Sami Zayn or something. Like, this show, yeah. again, for a show that was mostly full of three-star matches, a few four-star standouts, it was a five-star show. Further proof that moments beat matches. I, I think and so. I'm, I, love, I love a quality wrestling match and go out of my way to look for those. But it's all about the moments. It, when, if they did a five-minute sizzle reel of AEW All Out, you'd get a small handful of moments, probably mostly from the tag team match in the cage, and you'd see the Joker come out, you'd see Suzuki come out, you'd see Punk's entrance, you like that's that's it. That's what people are paying for. They're paying for moments. I considered briefly buying it on my own, um, right before the show started on Sunday. Decided not to. Briefly considered buying it Monday to watch the replay. Was able to find enough on YouTube that I was happy. But I went out of my way last yesterday morning and this morning. I watched Bear Country. I watched Lance Archer have two squash matches in which well, in one match he carried his opponent to the ring and in one match he chased his opponent to the ring. Hmm. I watched uh, the acclaimed. I watched Red Velvet. I saw the Dark Order do all sorts of things. Um, yeah, it was it was a good time. It wasn't great by any stretch, but it's dark in elevation. It's not supposed to be great. But there were things I'd never seen before. There were moves I'd never seen before. I now know who some of the talents are. And again, I also want to I, I want to call out their graphics team, putting those graphics up when people come out to the rings. Because just little things, like saying that Chris Statlander has a 1-0 record against Britt Baker as she's making her entrance. I don't know anything about Chris Statlander, not really. But I know now that she's beaten Britt Baker before, and it makes me feel like, well, maybe she can do it again. They can, they, they can manipulate you with those things. And it's just another way to get you to emotionally buy in. That mm -hmm. is such a small thing, but also a brilliant thing. And that's the, that's the thing with AEW is they're getting so many of the pieces right. Like the, these small things that it adds up. It really adds up. And I am excited yeah. for where this product is going. Well, and I'm excited because, you know, competition is always great. And hopefully this show causes a meeting in WWE to be like, what are we doing? Are we like, how, are we choosing to answer this or not? Because Vince can claim they're not competition, but that's a liar, liar, pants on fire situation. Uh, so are we going to see any sort of change in the way WWE presents itself. Not everything is broken no. in WWE. 
but there are certain things that could be tweaked. Um, oh, you know, and I'm I'm interested to see see where they go if they respond. And it does wrestling get better across the board. Another just small thing, like you want to talk about, you know, your elevations and your darks. This is something that nobody in their right mind is probably watching. Although that probably means plenty of wrestling fans are watching it. Uh, being mm-hmm. the elite or whatever that, that show yeah. is. Another small detail that I came across that I loved. And I called it out before. The only person uh, worthy challenging this title is already dead. Apparently, when Adam Cole went to NXT on that episode of being the elite, you know, because he used to hang out with the Bucks, he died. Yes. So him calling out the man dead is a callback to that. And now, on one of the most, the most recent episode of being the elite, Adam Cole was brought back to life with a seance. <laughs> First of all, that's the right kind of wrestle spooky stupid that I love. We've done yeah. a death angle on this show in which I was returned to life with a seance. So that is right yes. up my alley. They copied us the best. And two, again, I've, I say this all the time, and don't get me wrong, this is small, it's silly, it's not even part of the main product canon lore, whatever. But following through on a storyline like that from years ago. Yeah. The people who care about getting that payoff got it. And that's the thing I always say about the WWE that is one of the main things that really turned me away was I felt like I was investing in a lot of storylines that ultimately had no payoff. That kind of thing is huge. And I think it's going to be super important moving forward. There's something to the idea of having performers in these positions of power. And hopefully, you know, the success doesn't go to AEW's head and they don't change the entire business structure. Because I think a lot of the magic that they have right now is because of the minds of a lot of the performers that they have in these positions. You could even take out the in these positions. It seems very much... um, Alistair Malachi, Tommy and Black has already talked about. He's basically being given free reign to do what he wants to do with the Malachi Black character. He went to WWE with pages of ideas of things he could do, and they didn't want to do any of them. And he's been, they're basically like, you make Malachi Black whoever you want Malachi Black to be. And we saw this 20 years ago. In the Attitude Era, you take Billy Gunn and Road Dog, and you say, hey, be a tag team. Here's a microphone. Do whatever you want. They got themselves over and became a huge deal. When wrestlers feel like they can buy in and have some creative control over their character, even with the New Day as a more recent example, it tends to work out pretty well. It does. Um, WWE is too corporate to be able to do that now. Yeah. So, um... Emails? Well, that's my question. <laughs> we're, we're almost at an hour and a half. We talked a whole bunch of wrestling, and I imagine we're going to continue to talk wrestling as the weeks go on, and we're both checking out a little bit more of AEW and whatever of WWE we're choosing to watch. Um, we have three emails. We can cruise through those I say and you know, get our pieces of positivity. All right. Glenn Abbott, podcast at DDTWrestling.com. Sweet music. Good evening, gentlemen. Just a quick question for discussion this week. Growing up, what was your favorite genre of music? And which artist or song was your first purchase? Thanks, as always, Glenn. 
mine was as a kid. <laughs> go ahead. Mine was parody music. My first artist was yeah. Weird Al Yankovic. Um, yep. And I don't, I don't think I had a song as the first purchase per se, but the first album I did, I believe that I bought was, I'm not sure if it was, was even worse or if it was Alapalooza mm-hmm. or Alapalooza Park, whatever one that was that had the Jurassic, the Jurassic Park. One. Yeah. That, that the album that had that on there, I, I definitely bought a complete cassette. That was a whole album. It was a, it was a cassette. It was not a CD. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was one of those two. I don't remember which came first. Probably even worse. That was the earlier album. I'm not sure if I got mm-hmm. that later on. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't necessarily. I'm not sure I even knew that there were genres of music as a kid. We had all sorts of stuff that I remember my parents buying that must have been for me. The first CD I vividly remember buying, and I may have mentioned this before, is Bloodhound Gang's One Fierce Beer Coaster. Okay. I think, and that w- that was in my I really wanted to be a skater type era of my life, and so that music was what I thought. Either that, or it could have been the Boston's. I suppose I may have bought a Boston CD too. But. My first CD was either the soundtrack to Halloween, yep, or the soundtrack to Ghostbusters, and I'm <laughs> not sure which. That probably tells you a lot about who I was as a person. And either makes perfect sense if you know you. Yeah. Uh, Tim Johnson has not sent us an email in a while. An email, an email, what, what, an email. Good day, gentleman. I wonder which one of us he's talking to. I'm guessing you. <laughs> August came and went with a fury, and my backlog of podcasts grew to an excessive amount. I am with Doc on NXT falling out of my viewing schedule, and WWE content as a whole just gets worse and worse. My WWE intake these days is simply podcasts. Do you have any recommendations for a more results-driven podcast? The one I currently listen to has become quite ad-filled. I do. Piece of Business Podcast. Each week, the Piece of Business Podcast begins with Glenn and Jeremy talking about the week that was in pro wrestling. It's not necessarily results driven. They're not going to tell you who won every single match, but they will fill you in on the major parts of what happened in wrestling. So if you're, if that's how you're choosing to get your information, the piece of business podcast is where I would go. And it's not just because we're going to be on their show in a week or two. I agree. Apparently, apparently I am very excited to hear your thoughts on all out, which you may have already covered by the time this email is read. Correct. (laughs) Doc has said in the past his knowledge of Kenny Omega is limited, so here is a rather humorous spot he did with Brian Danielson back in the day. If nothing else, it shows that Russell Silly is sometimes both of these world-class athletes can do on a very high level. You can watch that if you want. I will. Okay. Lastly, the wrestling rumor mill has started working overtime, saying that Kevin Owens' contract is set to expire in January. Here's my question. Would you rather he stay in WWE, knowing not much will change for him, or have him go to AEW. No. Leave. Secondary question. Who would you like to see him to feud with? Sami Zayn. Uh, in AEW? Uh-huh. Both of them need to show up in AEW on the same show. Double debut. Sami Zayn comes out. Kevin Owens comes out. And they're, you know, both faces cheering. The whole crowd's cheering for him. And immediately, Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens turns, turns on Sami Zayn. Power bombs him on the apron. And we well, go- it wouldn't be Sami Zayn. He'd have to go back to El Generico. Fine with it. 
if if he is allegedly El Generico. I don't know. It's just a rumor. I am fine with it, and that's exactly what needs to happen. And I'm happy to watch them fight yeah. forever. I was say I, I tweeted this earlier. I was going to go into more detail, and I didn't. Vince McMahon is not going to back up a money truck to Kevin Owens and say, here, take all this money. Please don't leave. No, because number one, the money's not going to matter. And number two, he doesn't care that much. That's the whole point of this being a corporation company versus talents. Unless your name is Roman Reigns. Or Brock Lesnar. And those might be the only two or Charlotte. Those might be the only three. I don't think Vince McMahon, if you say I'm going to watch, if Seth Rollins came in tomorrow and said, I want, I want to leave, make me an offer to make me want to stay, I think he'd be like, um, Becky's going to stay. See you later, Mr. Dripple. Take your, take your drippy drip master. And yeah, he doesn't care. He doesn't care because he'll fill you with whatever college athlete, you know, he'll either find someone from the roster to take your spot or he'll, Groom some amateur wrestler, football player, whatever, to take your spot. I mean, we talked about this on the show years ago, and I think I said, you know, the WWE is in the business of getting the WWE over. It's about it's the same thing you're saying: company over performers. And yeah, still true. No, still true. If Kevin Owens wants to go, go. If Cesaro wants to go, he'll go. If Sasha Banks wants to leave, he'll let her leave. I'm interested to see when Charlotte Flair ends up in AEW. I think that's only a matter of time. It could be he, she would be somebody that I could imagine him being like, how much money would it take for you to stay? But the fact that he let her father go and the fact that her fiance is gone into AEW, it's possible. I I feel like she's not long for the WWE at this point. It is. It is also possible. And I mean this sincerely. I tweeted about this earlier that Vince McMahon looks around and goes, I don't want to do this. And the company is sold within the next 12 months. And it's Disney or I will say somebody else's. I will say, um, well, yes, he's an old man now. He doesn't need this shit in his life. He's got plenty of money. If he sells the company, he's only going to have more. And that's probably pretty appealing. The one thing I, I think if there's anything that I feel like I understand about Vince McMahon is. He thrives. He loves, I think, being backed into a corner. I think he loves it. And a lot of his best work of all time has happened when he's felt like he's been backed into some sort of corner. And he might view this as the absolute most fun way to go down swinging. I don't know, Could be. but everything I know about Vince McMahon says to me that there's a strong possibility that's the case, which could lead to some real entertaining television. So I'm not ready to write him off just yet. Uh, Tim's email finishes all the best wishes to you both as the school year begins and emails of COVID exposures file in at an alarming pace. Too true. I got two today and an extra set of best wishes for Jeremy as hoping the storms these past weeks haven't impacted you. Our final email comes from Mitchell. Question. If I decided to make a food review secondary TikTok account using the format of the list, which is to say just one item per episode, would I have your all's blessing? Mitchell? No. No. You can have my blessing. 
for the low, low price. <laughs> no. uh, all you have to do is, is on every single TikTok, uh, you know, say, hey, listen to the DDT Wrestling Podcast uh, found on your podcast repository of choice. Or buy a bunch of DDT merch and just have that while you, record, while you do your shows. Or both. Or both. <laughs> uh, but yeah, honestly, Mitch will do whatever you oh, want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm glad it's, you're it's flattering is for you to ask. Thank you. It, have fun. If you're, if you're tickying and talking makes you happy, then I'm happy for you. Uh, Did you hear last week uh, TikTok became, uh, I don't know the right way to say this metric, um, more hours of TikTok content is watched now per week than YouTube. TikTok wow. is now more consumed than YouTube. So, Do you have TikTok? I do not. I do not Neither have do the tickety-tockaters. Although I'm thinking my, about my coworkers it. Keep, my coworkers keep telling me to get it, and I'm like, no. I mean, if I got it, I could follow Mitchell. But I don't know anyone else who's on it. But you know what? Mitchell's not going to get to 100,000 followers just on his own. He needs to be followed by Doc Manson and the notoriety and fame that that will bring. All right, I got to see if Doc Manson is available on TikTok. Then I can truly be cross-platform. Before we get to our pieces of positivity, of course, our thoughts are with Triple H. Apparently had a uh, procedure due to a cardiac event. Oh, really? Which apparently, yep. Which apparently was caused by some sort of genetic heart issue. Um, people are, of course, saying that's why they think you know that's what the rumors were about. You know why Ch- NXT was going to be taken away from him. His heart's bad. I don't know about that. But the WWE came out with a statement uh, today that said that he was in the hospital after having a successful surgery due to a cardiac event. So hope he makes a speedy recovery. You will never hear this, but Paul, I hope you a a very quick recovery. Godspeed. Yeah. Uh, Do I even need to ask what your piece of positivity is? Or did we just spend the last 90 minutes talking about? I think we spent 90 minutes talking about AUW all out 2021. And all I got to say is to wrap it up, I understand there's a lot of things to not like about AEW, especially if you're very particular about your wrestling. But I will say, if you at some level are a wrestling fan, I think you owe it to yourself to check this show out. It was supremely entertaining. DC, what was your piece of positivity? Uh, My piece of positivity is my dad. uh, On yesterday... Uh, the champ had uh, full knee replacement surgery. Both? Just one. Okay. All right. He'll get the other one done in a few months. They advised one at a time. They usually do. Yeah, that's why uh, I was wondering. He, he asked about both, and they said, you wouldn't be able to use the bathroom on your own for a couple of months. And he said, all right, fine. <laughs> um, I, I spoke with him yesterday very, very briefly. Uh, I called him this morning. He was absolutely high as a kite on pain meds. <laughs> That has to be a good time. He did not know. I called yesterday. He was like, what are you talking about? I was like, we talked yesterday for like, it was maybe 90 seconds before the nurse came in and my mom literally hung up on me. But um, 
<laughs> oh, it's beautiful. I love it. And he was like, he was like, oh, what did I say? And I said, you have a, a view. And he goes, yeah. I said, what's your view of? And he said, well, right now it's of the curtains that are drawn. And I was like, okay, dad, thanks. That's great. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, he is, he is doing well. He's already home. He stayed overnight cause he's 73 years old and they wanted to keep an eye on him. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but he is, he is home. He is happy. The nerve block is still in. I'll be going over on Friday by then he'll be an immense amount of pain and I'll probably have to, you know, keep him from hurting people. Um, but he seems to be doing well. And, you know, for someone who has been in, in serious, various to serious amounts of pain for the majority of my life, my poor dad, uh, you know, he's a trooper. So I was glad to talk to him today and hear he was doing well and complaining about the fact that, uh, the French toast and bacon he had ordered had not arrived yet. And he's like, I'm really hungry. I haven't, they gave me a sandwich last night, but I haven't eaten in a while. So. I'm yeah. glad to hear we he's doing well. We were on speakerphone and I got off the phone and my wife who was in the car with me was like, oh, he is high. <laughs> he was slurring his words. He was, he, he like some of his sentences, he just trailed off in the middle and didn't finish. And I was like, eh, whatever. So, yeah, but yeah, it's all good. He's, he's, he's doing all right. Uh, thank you for joining us on this uh, episode where I just, I got to say you and I went all out. On AEW, uh, you can see. We you can say we really kicked it into full gear. We did. We did. We went all in. Now we're all out, and we went on a rampage. And I thought the conversation was was dynamite. <laughs> oh god! Uh, are we doing two eighty six? Is that what we're going we're with for doing this episode? Two eighty six. All right, two hundred eighty six episodes down. The countdown begins. I think by the end of the year. If my math is right, which it usually isn't, uh, we might be a hitting episode 300 by the holidays. We will see. Doc Manson, anything else you'd like to say before we head off into that good night? If you'd like to have your thoughts read on the air, send us an email, podcast at ddtwrestling.com. You can listen to our back episode catalog. You can listen to our back catalog of episodes. By going to ddtwrestling.com, ddtpod.com, or to your podcast repository of choice. And finally, if you like what you've heard, and how could you? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash ddtwrestling to send just a little bit of financial support to DC and Doc. It helps us keep the lights on and this crazy podcast chain a chug a luggage. He is Doc Manson at Doc Manson. I am DC Matthews at the DC Matthews. Thank you for joining us. Until we meet again, my friends, won't you be our bestie? It was lit.